Hi, you're listening to 48 Minutes, and this is Tim Kittrow from NBA Jam. Ooh, boom, shakalaka. You wanted to come with it, done it, we got it with punishment. Youngest is confident, but they hear the what we coming with. Others in love with the drug and this man, we just running it. Long as the public is coming, then we keep them loving it. All right, guys, so we're now talking a little Pelicans, um, our yearly Pelicans podcast that we do, and the guy has done each and every one with us. We had to bring him back, my pal, Chris Connor of the Bird Rights. My man, how are you? Long time no speak. You doing all right? Doing good, man, the best that a person can be. Uh, I would like to say this is my first time probably being live on Facebook, man, so you have uh, popped a cherry of mine, if that's okay for me to say. That's fine. Yeah, that's fine. We are a PG show, so, you know. <laughs> uh, except for our mailbag episode, got a little got a little violent at times, but it was fun this last weekend, so you know how that goes. Um, I saw it, yeah. So, obviously, you know, things are very different from the Pelicans from the last time we talked. Um, one, obviously, being Alvin Gentry is out, and in comes Stan Van Gundy, and SVG takes over. And <clears throat> from the jump, I really like this hire for this team. I think that he makes a lot of sense for a young group. He had a young group in Orlando, which I think a lot of people seem to forget. All those dudes were super young. The Jameer Nelsons, J.J. Reddicks, the Whites, and he took them to an NBA Finals. Um, obviously, didn't go his way in Detroit, and there was that weird sit in Miami pre-Pat Riley taking over for the 06 title, but he's been around the league. He knows everything he's talking about. I mean, he's studied every team possible being a – um, co- commentator this past year, which I was really heartbroken to see him leave TV. I can't lie, because he was great during the bubble. Um, yep. For you, being someone who covers this team, uh, what are your what was your immediate reaction to the hire of Stan Van Gundy for the Pelicans? Well, for me, it was exactly what the doctor ordered. Um, you know, I wrote a an article, I'd say about a week and some change before the announcement of the hire. And it was basically surrounded around if I was if I was someone in that interview group, the questions that I would want asked and all of the questions that I would be asking state candidates. I mean, they're perfect for a guy like Stan Van Gundy, you know, um, while Alvin Gentry, like Stan Van Gundy, a season has has been at different stops, has been around the league for for a long time, uh, their philosophies in regards to what they expect and their day-to-day practice is simply different. You know, Alvin's way more loose. He's way more, uh, he has more of a freestyle, do it as we go approach. And Stan Van Gundy is a lot more about preparation from day one, uh, installing habits from playing hard to defensive practices and personnel and having accountability from the, the best player on the team to the guy at the end of the bench. And um, I think it's what the team needed if you watched them last year. Um, and I, I mean, look, you know, while Stan is, is I, I believe, 61 years old, like you said, he, he coached the team in Orlando. When he got there, they were fairly young. When he was in his – when he – before Shaq got to Miami and uh, that team made the playoffs, they were a young team before the Shaq trade, before when you're talking about Dwayne Wade, well, rookie Dwayne Wade, uh, Lamar Odom, Karan Butler, you know, these were, these were young guys. The team actually eliminated the then New Orleans Hornets uh, for those, for those who, who can remember that particular time. But um, 
So he he has a handle on what it takes to help guys win, help young players win. Sure, he's he's older. He's a lot older now than he was then. But I think, and he's spoken about it, the time that he spent away from basketball as more of an analyst, it got a, it gave him an opportunity to kind of reflect and think about some of the things that went wrong in Detroit just as a coach um, that I think will help him at his time here in New Orleans. Like I said, these guys – a lot of those guys want to be coached. You you have some veterans already, uh, but the main the main focus is going to be, uh, you know, you know you know what to expect from guys like Drew Holiday and Josh Hart and JJ Reddick. Uh, if, if you bring a guy like Derek Favors back, or if you go get another veteran presence, but these these young players, these guys that are uh, or a guy like Lonzo Ball still finding himself, how do you get them in the right direction? day in and day out for, as a just as a as a competitor as a player to not just be spectacular on the floor but create winning basketball yeah i think all that's nail on the head i think he brings all that i think drew holiday is a perfect start for him obviously having that two-way player that can kind of set the tone um you know obviously we know zion williamson ran the NBA future and lonzo ball i shouldn't leave him out like we know that's the future of the pelicans but having that group of guys, especially that perimeter defense, that's very physical, and that's kind of the way Stan Van Gundy plays. So I think that's like a perfect start for him to get with these young guys, like you mentioned, like a Derek Favors, who if you bring him back or if you bring in like a Serge Ibaka, you know, how, does, how that helps your team. I think those are all good points. Um, <clears throat> I got to meet Stan last year. It was pretty funny. So he was at a Xavier basketball practice that I was at. They were getting ready for Spain. And mm-hmm. I guess he was like going around the area and going to all the local Division One schools. And I look behind me, I look at his shoulder, and I see him sitting there, and I like go to the reporters next to him, like, hey, guys, that's Stan Van Gundy. And they all go talk to him, and, like, they're, like, having a great time, like, socializing with them, and he's, like, really nice, and they're talking about different things, different people they know. And, like, 10 minutes later, I go up to him. I'm like, hi, Mr. Van Gundy. My name's Tim Daniel. I'm a local reporter here. I cover Xavier. And he just goes, hey, Tim, and shakes my hand. And I was like, well, I just wanted to say hi. <laughs> <laughs> But he is all business, man. And, like, even after that practice, like, he's watching what they're doing. And I see his this notebook, and he's writing things down there, like, all the sets and everything. And, like, after the game, after practice, he walks out. He's talking to Travis Steele. And he's like, hey, I really liked how you did this. But have you ever thought about using your big man to do it? And he's, like, going through everything. And he's, like, setting screens and stuff. And I'm like, this guy just doesn't quit basketball. So, like, when there was, like, yeah, he's going to be a head coach again. I was like, cool. Um, can Jeff go head coach the Rockets so we can at least get him off TV since we have to lose Stan? Is that a possibility here? <laughs> <laughs> no, man, I, I, you know, one thing you notice about Stan is that basketball really makes him excited. And I know that that's, that's a statement that I, you know, I, I think, I mean, people will say, well, I mean, me, I mean, come on, Chris, if you're, you're professional, like, you know, of course you love basketball, right? But I don't know if that's always the case. Like, you know, it's not always the case. Some people, some people like the game of basketball. Some, some do it because it pays them a lot of money. Some do it because they, they just simply really gifted and good at it. But some just love the game. And when you hear Stan talk, he's giddy about just about simply the game itself. Uh, new, different nuances he can throw in, uh, different ways he can be creative and uh, his, his, his forms of, of analyzing talent and uh, the different twists that he can make, even in the story that you make. I mean, you know, he's there for, for, for a, few, a few minutes and he's already coming up for He's he's already coming up with suggestions. He can't he can't help himself. Right. You know what I'm saying? And I think that that's that's perfect, especially you know from 
Um, and I, I don't think it's too radical of a switch either for uh, a team like New Orleans who had a, such a, of a relaxed style. I think Stan gives you just enough, but I don't think he's more, I don't think you, you're going into Bobby Knight territory, you know, to where guys are going to be pissed off of the way that, you know, he's talking to them. I think um, it's just, it's the perfect mess for what this team needs to elevate them. I don't necessarily know if it's per se a championship level coach, but that's not what you want for this team right now in this particular year, or maybe even the next year, you want them to slowly take those steps to be ready for the things and the obstacles that will meet them or that we expect of them in the next three to five years. And Stan, even if he isn't the guy to, to, to get it done, to get the final thing done and be there with you in June holding up a trophy, I think he can put the foundation in place to land you or, or, or to, to plant you there, whether it's someone else or an assistant on his staff that eventually gets you there. I think he's going to get the players ready. And he's one of the best, he's one of the best coaches. And I think that I've, that I've seen, in regards to preparation. And when you have a bunch of young guys as they have on this squad, I think that that's really important. You know, they're learning how to be, how to be adults. They're learning how to be grown men, but you know, they got some of them, the rookies in specific, they learned last year what it's like to play in the NBA season. And then they learn what it's like to play in a, in a, uh, during a pandemic, you know, now I think Stan is going to give them a whole new teaching and learning and, you know, what's interesting is that I think you're going to learn a lot about who's going to um, who's growing up and who hasn't on the team when we're talking about the young guys. Because I think Alvin let a lot of things slide in regards to giving guys opportunities to make mistakes and kind of learn on their own. I don't think Stan's going to have that type of leash. Certain mistakes won't be tolerated and they're going to have to learn from them in different forms and fashions. That and I also think Stan will play Zion with about eight minutes to go in the game. I think that'll happen. <laughs> yeah, I, I can't imagine that won't be a case here. Um, let's let's get to that, because obviously I know covering the Pelicans, you can't do a podcast talking about old number ones. Yeah. So you got about 20 games of them this year, maybe a little more. Was it 24? Around there. Something crazy. Yeah, somewhere close to 30. Yeah. And obviously – it seemed like the injury didn't bother him at all. There was a lot of things that you saw. So on a night-to-night basis, what was the feeling of watching Zion Williamson continue not only to be like just the most ridiculous athlete we've seen come to the NBA probably since LeBron, but also just like watching him still learn how to play professional basketball and grow on a night basis and still play so well. What was that like, cover, like covering him on, a, on like night-to-night and seeing what he was doing? I mean, it's it's so weird because it's it's rare that you get a guy who has so many dominant flashes or even dominant consistent plays, especially on the offensive side of the basketball. And you see all world elite athleticism. And but then on the other side of the spectrum, you see, damn, he has so much more to learn and grow there. It's you know, it's weird. It's not like he's not your. I mean, he's truthfully worthy of the praise that was given to him, yes. you know, and, and I think that's what, that's what you see. Like, you know, I, I remember with Anthony Davis, when he was a rookie, I looked at him and said, this is a rookie. I, I, I just, he just, I could see certain, certain things from him, 
but it wasn't much from a, a dominance perspective in that first year to where it's like I knew what I had there, right? I I still thought I thought with AD that you know you were looking at a a Marcus Camby type player. That's just what I thought he was going to be—a guy who could maybe average, you know, at best he was going to give you 15 to 17 points a game. But you didn't really see that superstar level offensive play from him. Some of that's on Monty Williams. Some of it is just on him learning. I didn't see that out of his first year, which is fair. I mean, right. rookies take time, right? Um, with Zion, you saw it right away. And that's what's so interesting. Like, on one side of the, the coin, he's moving Rudy Gobert offensively. And then on the defensive side of the floor, he's completely lost. You know, you see him going, giving 100% effort for offensive rebounds and making spectacular plays, but defensively the ball's in the air and he's just watching whoever else grab the rebound or he's not even attempting to go and close out. Um, so, you know, just watching him, ball watching, you know, it's, 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 it's a weird, weird type of, type of situation for him. And I guess, you know, um, you've seen guys like, for example, Damian Lillard come into the league immediately and be an outstanding offensive player, but you and you knew defensive lapses were there. But what's interesting with Zion is that he was a much better defender at Duke. I just saw yeah. I saw him give more effort on that side of the floor. I, I'm not expecting him to be, you know, to be an all-world defender right away, but I was expecting more inconsistent effort and just um him looking less lost out there, right? So every minute of it was exciting. Some of it was frustrating because of the minute burst, but just watching the player, you know that one way or another, he's going to put it all together. And to think that we're seeing someone who has such of a distance to go, he doesn't have a mid-range jump shot yet. He doesn't have a consistent three-point shot yet. He doesn't, He's not a he's not a great defensive rebounder. He's not a guy who can who can stay in front of people just yet uh, or have learned all the tricks and trade of defense. And he still put up the numbers in that period in which he did. It's completely scary. He's nowhere close to the basketball player he's going to be. And he was already dominant. It's the weirdest thing I think I've seen in some time. He almost in a sense reminds me of and I hate to say it because I know it's been the comparison that's been thrown out a million times. It almost reminds me of rookie year LeBron in a sense of like LeBron, like obviously was probably more offensively polished at this point in his first year, just because, you know, there's one LeBron James ever come to the world. But there's so many things you saw where you're like, and you watch him now, like you said, where you're like, okay, you're like, he doesn't have that three point shot at this moment, but like in five, six years, like you can see how he's shooting. It might be there in this case, because likely to not. But, you know, and like you saw the pure athleticism, you saw like, you know, the defensive smarts that you can be there and will be there in a matter of time, just putting it together. So, like, yes, I hate to do that because I know everyone does it, and it's not fair to compare anyone to one of the three greatest basketball players of all time. But, like, it kind of has that vibe at times. Yeah, I, I, I mean, the thing with LeBron is that you had so many different things to focus on with him. Right. You know, like, it wasn't just one thing, Right. LeBron was, he would give you four to five passes a game. You would be like, okay, that's crazy. Right. He was, you know, and still is an amazing athlete. So when he puts his shoulder down, you're in trouble. He'll make a few jump shots. 
he'll finish at the rim like nobody should be able to do at his size. And then defensively, he'll make a few plays on the ball. And we know off the ball, as a whether it be in transition as a chase down defender or just straight up defending the rim, you were going to see plays from him that made you think, okay. So you couldn't really focus on one thing because he did so much on the floor. You know, I mean, he just did, period. Off ball, oops. Running your offense. There was so many different things. With Zion, his offensive game last year was, was simple. It was really two, it was two to three things you looked for game to game. Because those those weak side blocks that we saw him do at Duke, we only saw maybe once or twice throughout the NBA season, Yeah, even in a bubble. I mean, you really only saw him make a, a couple plays in the air defensively, which you were like, oh. But outside of that, it was his brute strength on the block offensively, his touch, transition alley-oops, his connection, his connection with Lonzo, his ability, right, his ability in the air to – make moves that a guy almost 300 pounds should have no business doing and finishing and, and his incredible touch. But that was, re- that was pretty much it. Sure. You saw a couple passes like, okay, wait, man, great touch there. We saw him a few games, hit a few jump shots. He's going to get to the free throw line. And, and he, he was inconsistent, but he was much better towards the end of the year and, and towards the end of the bubble than he was in the beginning. Um, but yeah, I mean, that was, that was pretty much it. So I, I, I think with I think with Brian, you had so many different things to distract yourself or you know away from. With Zion, it's so simple, but there was nothing one man could do about it. Yeah, the the, the physicality, like you like I said, you don't see that from kids who are nineteen twenty, especially in the NBA, right. very rarely. Um, let's kind of talk a few a few a few of the guys. Obviously, I want to touch on the year Brandon Ingram had from. You know, a lot of people wondering if he'll be the same after the blood clot issue from his last year in L.A. to an all-star in New Orleans. Um, you know, obviously, like, when you watch Brandon Ingram play all these years at Lakers, you knew he was talented. You knew there was a skill set there, and you knew there was things he was unlocking. And I don't know if he's – I wouldn't say he's fully polished yet because I just don't think he's going to get better, honestly, even with a, you know, an all-star season. Um, but the talent level we saw this year, the, the shots he was making um, – you know, what what jumped out to you about the season you guys got from Brandon Ingram his first year in New Orleans? Um, just a man that 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 hard work finally paid off. Yeah. That's just pretty much it. When you watch his game, you can see you can see practice drills after practice drills after practice drills. You, you just do. That like like he's not somebody that's just trying stuff out there. You know, he's not like, okay, this game. Um, I'm going to try this. The, the first thing, and when I say that, the first thing that pops into my head is that, is that Patrick Ewing gift where he's, where he's talking to one of his kids like, have you ever practiced that shot before? <laughs> Do you have that in your game? Have you tried that at home? And the kid's like, no, no, no. He's like, well, don't try it out here. Right? Brandon isn't that guy. Like, everything that you, that you watched him perform or that you watched him do was stuff he worked tirelessly at. So, when you watch him be better from a, a free throw shooting perspective, it's because he worked at it. Even if he had a short period, because he didn't really start playing basketball until August, but you can tell he worked at it. His three-point shooting, there was some changes there. It wasn't the same shot. He spent that time and he worked at it. His his transitions after pick and rolls, he worked at it. Like, you know, and even, even some of his um, 
some of the things he needed to improve on. He wasn't scared to, to fix them and improve throughout the year. But I mean, that's just to me, man, like, you know, uh, you talk about a guy that people, that people were so ready to call a bust, you know, so guys that a guy that people were just willing to throw away and not even consider to be on Ben Simmons's level after, after a period of time. Um, I, I mean, I don't, I don't know what else to really say, man. I mean, he's, um, he's a guy that New Orleans basketball desperately needs when you're talking about that position and, and his ability to score without an assist. Um, and he's an overall dog. He's a guy that desperately wants to win and he doesn't care who's in front of him. He's not scared of them. Um, so I can't say I was surprised because the guy doesn't lack overall confidence. He just simply doesn't. He needed a few tweaks and Alvin Gentry's system was perfect for him because it allowed him to mess up without having to look over to the sideline or worry about anything being adjusted. And in the midst, he's doing all of this in the midst of a contract year. Right. Yeah. I mean, to me, I just know mentally he's one of the strongest people that you have on that team. All those different things going around. You ain't played basketball in a minute. You go into a new place. You don't know if you're going to be here long term. You're trying to figure out what your salary is going to be like for the next year. And you become an all-star in a new system with new players. Bro, that's someone who is strong mentally. And if if it's anybody on that team, I won't question in regards to what they can be or what they will change and work on. It's him. What's with New Orleans players and, and contract years that are – New Orleans wins specifically on contract years just all of a sudden like being all-stars. Like Jamal Mashburn's last year playing was with New Orleans, and he's in a contract year. He goes to the all-star game, you know, but then he gets traded the next year. He gets hurt and never plays basketball again, which broke my heart. But, like, it just seems like there's something down there. It's like, oh, it's my contract year, and I played the three. I got you. I mean, look, um, I know we just talked about forwards, but if Lonzo Ball wants to join that list, he totally can. Yeah. yeah. I'm I I'm down to see it. <laughs> I, that was my next guy I want to talk about because I'm sure you're in the agreement with me. I'm sure we obviously know that there are major flaws, but I feel he's definitely more pre-shutdown than Bubble Lonzo, and I'm, I'm sure you agree with that. I oh, oh I mean without a doubt, without a doubt. Yeah. Um, did you did you have a question after that, or you just wanted me to go on the zone? Yeah, we can go with that. Yeah, we'll just. Oh um, man, you know what's crazy. I I don't think I've seen a player in such a in, in such a long time that gives that divides a city or that is just so like 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 there's no there's no in between with how you feel about Lonzo. You either well, feel Cincinnati for Andy Dalton, so no. <laughs> it, I mean, it it's like you either absolutely love him or you hate him. Like it's it's almost like you can't be in the middle. And his the people that love him will feel as if you're not on their side if you throw any flaws in his direction. And the people and the people that feel not 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 necessarily hate him, but feel as if he should play a different role, don't want to hear too many great things about him. It, it, it's it's a weird weird it, ah man. Um, and it's unfortunate because all of it isn't isn't his fault. Right. But um, yeah, I mean to going back to your to your original statement, I mean. Yeah, man, I mean, I do think when you put together that stretch that he put it through and he was just in a different mode. You could you could tell you could tell by the swagger um, 
he was comfortable, he was healthy, and he was confident. Yeah. And that was the best Lonzo Ball that we've seen because he was able to put those things together. That confidence, he was comfortable in his role. He had someone who was who who believed in him finally behind him. There was there was no moving him from the bench anymore. They let him go out there and play. They needed him because they had they had a bunch of injuries during that time. Once again, Zion was Zion was out and then was coming back in with with many restrictions. Drew missed a few games. Brandon missed a game here or there. So you know, Lonzo was heavily um, relied on for some stretches, and he made it work. Um, do I think you're looking at a guy who was a 40% who was going to be a 40% three point shooter? I don't necessarily know if that's him, right? Uh, he was averaging over like what over 17 points per game and close to 10 assists. I don't know if that's if that's him that if that's him either, but I don't think at that same token that you have to make him an off ball wing more of a two guard that just spots up necessarily either. I think the the beauty in Stan Van Gundy, and as he gets older, if he's serious about his patient levels, the way that he breathes basketball, I think he's willing to adapt to almost anything if a player has made adjustments in their game that fit. Now, we all know, and he even mentioned it in the presser, that Lonzo is probably the best basketball, the, he's the best at catching a rebound, and making a play to the other side of the floor and transition, whether that's him doing it and making a pass or spreading the floor or simply throwing a goddamn 50-foot alley-oop down the floor to whoever, or even if it's just a pass to Drew Holiday that almost tears his ACL or puts a guy in air and it hurts somebody. Regardless, he's one of the best in the league at doing that. I don't think that anyone's better at that. But if you're going to be a point guard in the NBA and in this NBA, there's other things he needs to fix, of course. His handling has to be better. His assertiveness off of off of pick and rolls needs to be better. His in-between game needs to be better. His ability to manipulate has to be better. He has to be a better finisher. He has to be someone who you can who you can because all these things they matter in half-court sets. And if you're a point guard and you can't run a half-court set at this level um consistently, it's not gonna work. You know what I'm saying? So, um, and then, you know, he has to be a better finisher and he has to be better at, at the free throw line. Those are a lot of things for someone to fix. But um, I still think that even if he's still, if he's the guy that was from last year, you can sprinkle him in making those point guard level decisions in some areas, but it's not needed for him to dominate the ball and have a high usage regardless, because you have, a guy like Brandon Ingram, who is going to make decisions with the basketball, whether it's for him or someone else. You still have Drew Holiday, of course, who's going to do similar things. And then you have Zion Williamson, who's going to isolate a whole different side of the floor. And we don't know what the hell Stan Van Gundy is going to bring, the type of sets he wants to run offensively with that. Um, so the problem with Zoe is that some people, I think, believe that he is worth close to a max contract. And until we find out exactly what he wants money-wise, it makes it difficult to, to say exactly what you want from him. Because the guy that I described who only has the ball, uh, I won't say a handful, of, uh, a handful of times, but isn't your traditional point guard, but isn't necessarily just a spot-up guy, go sit in the corner guy either, 
he's not worth max money. Yeah. You know, so um he's he's complicated, but I still don't want to put him in a corner. <laughs> he has so many skills. He, he he has so many skills as a point guard that need to be used. You just got to figure out where they fit best. They need more organization on the offensive side of the ball to get him moving. Try other creative ways to get his to get his gifts being able to be to uh, to be used. And um, we got to see what he comes back with and what he's worked on and the type of player he is once the new season starts. So let me ask you this, just as a backup potential for Lonzo Ball, <clears throat> Pelicans are going to be okay on the sheets, you know, salary sheets this year. <laughs> are you open to the idea of Rajon Rondo coming back to back up Lonzo? <laughs> Man, that's that's that. I listen. I don't have that big of a problem with Rajon Rondo. I would, no, of I course. I get he's like a head case at times, but like. I've always been a Rajon Rondo fan. I can't help it. I don't want to be. I just am. I don't think it's a pro- like if you love basketball. Like the problem with the the problem with Doe is that he's so smart. Like like his 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 basketball IQ is a gift and a curse. Yeah. Because he's so smart and he understands the game and studies the game so well that with certain coaches and certain people around him, it rubs them the wrong way. Because he is always going to treat it as if he's smarter than you. Always may not be fair because I haven't been in those locker rooms to speak to that. But it's just based off of things things that have been reported and said at, at some of his stops. Right. When he walks into the room, you feel his presence. It is what it is. But the thing that Rajon Rondo could do, and you know, we saw it here. I mean, he played. He had a really good bubble. And that playoff Rondo shit is not going anywhere because you you can tell that it's real. He he gives a different level of intensity when he's able to focus on one opponent for four to seven games, and is in this stretch, this playoff stretch that lasts about a month and a couple weeks. It just I mean it's shown it, and he continues to show it now. I guess my question is, what exact, what type of money is Rondo going to demand? Because there is no more veteran minimums for him. That's done. That's, That's over with. This title He's a, that, I agree. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's, does he want mid-level? Does he want a one-year $10 million deal? Does he expect to start somewhere? What exactly does, what exactly is he expecting? Because Lonzo, Rondo would be very good for, for Lonzo Ball. He would be exceptional for Lonzo Ball. Yeah, he just would be. Together, like the year together, that it wasn't bad till Lonzo got hurt. He would, I mean, he he would be exceptional just with somebody who 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 breathes the game and then knows what it's like to be a pass first point guard. You know, um, Lonzo has has improved his shot at an earlier stage than Rondo did when Rondo was coming up. Um, so yeah, man, I mean, I would I would love Rondo under the right circumstances. You know, uh, I don't know if he would welcome coming back to New Orleans, but I don't think that that's a bad shot. It's something I hadn't necessarily thought about. Yeah, I just thought about the other day, and I was like, because, you know, um, obviously I don't want to see him leave the Lakers, especially for the Clippers, because, like, I hate the Clippers. I hate. I think he's out of there. Yeah, I do think he – I think he is too. I think this – you know, what he did in that bubble, like, made him some money, so I'm with you. A um, couple more questions I want to kind of get to. And this one's draft related. So obviously different situation this year with the draft from last year, drafting one, 
making the trade and getting four, then trading and getting Jackson Hayes represents Cincinnati, Jackson Hayes. And um, you guys are picking at the end of the lottery this year. And a name I keep seeing pop up for the Pelicans at the end of the lottery is Villanova's Sadiq Bay. Now, I've been in quite a few Xavier Villanova games, so I've seen Sadiq Bay play play some basketball, and everything you read about him as a three-point shooter is true. Like, he is a four-stretcher. He's, I think he shot 46% in the Big East last year from three, which mm-hmm. is like, pretty impressive. Um, is that kind of a name that you're keeping your eye on? Is there anyone else at that spot you're looking at? Maybe like a Tyrese Maxey or like a Devin Bissell? Or is that like, is like, because to me, I thought when I saw Bay on three or four different mock drafts, I was like, oh, that's perfect for New Orleans. He's another four stretcher for Lonzo Ball. I mean, for, for Lonzo Ball, for Brandon Ingram, from Zion, you got to, no, no matter what you draft, if you, or whatever you do with the pick, if you trade it, you need a floor spacer. Um, there were too many times last season where they would isolate Brandon Ingram at the top of the key, or they would dump down to Zion Williamson, or they would isolate four, or they would run pick and roll with Drew and, and, and Zion, or whoever, whoever, whatever they were trying to accomplish. And there was always one person on the floor that just didn't allow it to happen. If you, when Zion's on the floor, it's hard to have Derek Favors on the floor with as well in that style of offense. Now, I can only go off of what I've seen in that, right. from Alvin Gentry's system. I think that there are ways to have to have two non-shooters and still get the best out of those guys, but they have to have more more offense that allowed more offensive lineups and flexibility that allow them to play their best players, um, and almost any type of setup, but still be able to spread the floor. They gotta they gotta find that balance. I think. Um, so I do think that that means that you need another guy or two that can stretch the floor. Um, too many, too many streaky shooters, Nikhil Alexander Walker, Etwan Moore is a good shooter, but his minutes were up and down. And there's a, you know, there's a disadvantage of putting him out there because you're not going to have him run your offense. He's going to be at the two. Oh. I am so sorry. My girlfriend just called me in the middle. No, um, I don't know where I was at with that. Oh, um, each one more. Uh, we don't know if he'll be back, but um, you have guys like Nicola Melli, another guy who should be a much better shooter than he is, but he's extremely streaky. And off the top of my head right now, I mean, you got Kenrich Williams, Frank Jackson, all streaky shooters. They need more shooting on the team to join JJ Redick and company because they, they 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 don't have a whole bunch of it right now. Right. Um, and if you can add someone from a wing from a wing perspective, I think that would be great—a wing or a center. Uh, Sadiq Bay is a guy who I think fits in, into that range. Devin Vassell, I think, is a guy that has the ability to be a really good three and D guy at the next level, and that's what excites me. Um, whether he plays the tour that, you know, he's a little bit of a tweener. I don't know where, where he's going to play. Um, you know, he reminds me a lot of what I would like to me. He's a, I don't think he's the the, the defender Josh Okagi was coming out of college, but Josh Okagi isn't the shooter that he is coming out of college. So 
Um, and Josh Okagie was a guy that I really, really wanted New Orleans to look into. So anybody that's going to go out there and to defend, number one is going to be on Stan Van Gundy's love list. And if you can shoot, you're going to fit with what they need long term on that team. Uh, I'm curious what they're going to do because it's going, you know, when it's all said and done, you got to draft guys. Um, even if they help you right away, you're still acquiring assets because, I mean, listen, New Orleans is going to be in a spot where if there's an unhappy superstar, for the first time in a very long time, they're going to be in a position to where they can offer a lot to get said superstar. And they, have, they haven't been, they've never been in, in that position. They shouldn't have got DeMarcus Cousins. You know what I'm saying? They, they just shouldn't have. I mean, just yeah. love affair with the owner and Buddy Hill was, was what it was, but that shouldn't happen. You know what I'm saying? But they're going to be in a position to where they can, whether it's through free agency or go trade for one, they're going to have the assets to do it. Do they continue to accumulate them now? Or do they look to trade that draft pick to add another veteran towards Stan Van Gundy's Stan Van Gundy's want of guys to not use youth as an excuse and compete and look to win um, and win a lot. I don't know which route they're going to go, but whoever they draft, he's gonna need he's gonna have to be able to shoot. Yeah, I'm totally with you on that. So my last question is an interesting one. I, I, this is just I need your explanation. I don't understand this. Can you explain to me this new rivalry between the Grizzlies and the Pelicans? Is this strictly because of Jaw versus Zion? Is that what this is all about? Hell no. Hell no. It, it's, it's not that, man. Uh, um, well, number one, Memphis doesn't have a rivalry or, or, or a rival anymore, right? I think in previous years, they, they had that rivalry with the Clippers, um, if you want to call it that. And the Pelicans don't really have a rival. I mean, they simply don't. Um, I think the closest thing to a rivalry that they had in previous years was with, say, the Spurs. But the Spurs wouldn't look at them in that way. They Both of these teams have somebody that they can look at and say, oh, you're what we're, you're what we're going to be looking at the next five years. So, I mean, it's just – I think it's more so of, um, of them having so many things in common. Um, and on top of that, both, I mean, when you look at the roster construction, both having polarizing superstars that should be at the apex of the league. When we're talking about best players in the league for years to come, they both have number twos that are also young, that should be fantastic for years to come. Brandon Ingram in New Orleans' case, depending on where you peg him at, and you got Jaron Jackson Jr. in Memphis, hope he gets healthy. And then you got some youth, you, you got some youth along the way, and then a bunch of question marks in regards to what route they go to build the team. So yeah, a lot of it I think is Zion and Ja, but the teams are similar, the cities are similar, um, the need for a rivalry is is similar, and um the fact it, it only helped that they were both fighting each other for um, that eight seed last year, and they can continue to play each other over and over, even though New Orleans dominated them and will continue to dominate them until Memphis makes some changes. Uh, just, just as what it is, a bad matchup for Memphis. Well, I saw 21 Savage is already trying to speak into existence a Jaws Zion team up like their old AAU days. So. Who, who would have thought that? That was such a random. <laughs> I, I was not expecting 21 Savage to give me Zion. Uh, John Moran and Zion Williamson uh, 
thoughts at eight o'clock at night. This was completely random. Yeah, hopefully it's the opposite of like Little Boozy, where like everyone was getting cursed. Hopefully, like this happens because I think <laughs> basketball fans want to see that. Like between those right. two and Luca, I don't really like. You know, we know the future of the NBA is beautiful, um, and those, those three guys we just talked about are obviously leading the way. So it's great, and I I would love to see that happen in the future. I love watching those two play. Um, yeah. High on Josh since his freshman year at Murray State. They're you know a couple hours south of me, um, so I got to see him play a little more than most did. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, man, this was great. Um, I always enjoy talking with you. Uh, before we go ahead and close out here, uh, obviously, like I always do, give you a chance to shout out your um, any of your work you're doing right now, anything you want to plug, your social media, by all means, man, go for it. As always, you guys can follow me on Twitter at uh, Impatient Bull. Um, I mean, to be honest, I don't have anything in the works right now, but I think something is either going to be Lonzo Ball related or Stan Van Gundy, uh, but I would say, you know, follow the staff at, at the Bird Rights. I mean, we got a guy right now by the name of David Fisher, who if you love Drew Holiday trades, he is posting one every single minute. I made a joke today in our in our group chat that I'm waiting for him to uh, for him to pose a trade that trades Drew Holiday from the Pelicans to the Pelicans. Um, <laughs> I mean, if he has it, Drew's going to be on a big on a big three team soon. I mean. You know, he's he he is going absolutely nuts. But the whole staff there, uh, Ali Cosell, David Grubb, they they both were at the uh, the, the virtual press conference today and did a, an amazing job. Preston Ellis is our host for the podcast. So, yeah, man, I mean, just the whole staff, you know, uh, is more than fine. But, uh, man, appreciate the time as always, bro. Yeah, for sure. And just tell all your folks in New Orleans um, here in Cincinnati. We definitely appreciate Joe Burrow, and I'm sorry that we're getting <laughs> killed one of these weeks, but um, this is a lot of fun seeing him be really good at football. So Please fix that offensive line, man. Please don't kill Joe Burrow. Every day. Please. Pray every day. Please. <laughs> Thank you, yeah, man. man. It's all good, though, man. Appreciate it. Yes, sir. All right.